0: Let me add my welcome to Zach's. I'm Kevin. I'm the pastor here at Grace Fellowship, and we are glad that you are with us this morning. We've been making our way through the Old Testament book of Exodus, and right now we are in that part of Exodus which is known as the Ten Commandments. So, even uh, if if you don't have a background in church, you might be familiar with that phrase, the Ten Commandments. Um, it's, a, it's ten laws, ten words, actually, that uh, is, what the, is what Exodus itself calls it. Uh, and these ten words, these ten commandments form the basis for Israel, that's God's people, for their life with God, okay, for their relationship with the Lord and with each other. These ten commandments form the basis of that. Um, we've already seen how the first part of the Ten Commandments, commandments one through four, can be summarized under this heading. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's commandments 1 through 4. Uh, and what? so it's interesting that the first thing that God tells His people, this rescued people, is how to love Him, how to walk with Him, right? That He is to have no rivals. There are no other gods, right? That their hearts are to be set on the Lord. And then commandments 5 through 10 can be summarized under this heading, Love Your Neighbor. Love Your Neighbor as Yourself. So we have we have two responsibilities when it comes to this life. The first is to love our God It's our vertical relationship. And then it's to love our neighbor. Uh, and our neighbor does not just refer to the person who lives next door to us, or to the person, or to our particular group of friends, or even to our tribe, right? Whatever that may be. But the word neighbor refers to everyone, right? Everyone who lives in this part of the story in the, in the community of Israel. Uh, but then when we get into the New Testament, uh neighbor applies to everyone. So how do we love other people? And that's what the last uh that's what the last six commandments commandments 5 through 10 tell us. We've looked at a few of these. This week, uh we are going to look at commandment number 8, uh which is in Exodus 20 verse 15. I had really hoped that I could summarize a lot of these together and just kill multiple birds with one stone. I just don't have it in me. So we're going uh, to... There's just some important stuff in here that we need to cover. So uh, Exodus 20, verse 15. If you uh, if you have a Bible, turn there. If you don't have a Bible, grab one of the hardcover ones that's uh, in the pew rack in front of you or the chair in front of you, uh, and you're welcome to take that one home. We'd love to give that to you. So Exodus chapter 20, verse 15. I'm actually going to read verse 2 because it gives us an important, uh, the important frame to the other commandments. If you've been here week after week, you know that I've been doing this, right? But it's important to say that God's grace, God's rescue comes before God's law, right? The, The rules do not make the relationship. The relationship Uh, makes the rules, right? The rules come after God has established the relationship with his people, okay? So God's grace comes first, which is what we hear in verse 2. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And then verse 15, you shall not steal. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this, your word. You've given it to us. You've spoken it to us. It's for our benefit, and it's for your glory, and so God, we ask that you would supernaturally now enable us, maybe some of us, for the very first time, to really hear it. Would you open our eyes? Would you unstop our ears? Would you soften our hearts that we may hear from you, that we may believe in you, and that we may be transformed? We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, So here is the... Main idea for this week, if your God is a giver, that's a typo. Good job, Kev. If your God is a giver, er, er, uh, then you must no longer be a taker. If your God is a giver, then you must no longer be a taker. And so, maybe the question you want to, the first question you want to resolve in your mind that we need to resolve is, am I a taker? Right? Uh, and when you come to this commandment, uh, do not steal, I imagine most of us in the room feel pretty good about ourselves, right? Like, okay, finally, one commandment that I'm keeping, right? I haven't, as far as I know, I've done my best to not steal, any fa- steal anything. In fact, right, nobody really likes a thief. Some of us view this as like the lowest form of life as people who steal, right? So we would be almost very proud to say, I... I am not a thief. And as Lee Corso often says, not so fast, my friend. If you don't know who Lee Corso is, just let that one go. Let me, uh, let me read to you from uh, what's called the Westminster Catechism. The catechisms are simply teaching tools that were used in the church. In a previous era, they were just used to help people understand how to apply the Bible. So uh, this one, the Westminster Larger Catechism, comes to us from 1646 in Great Britain. I just want to go ahead as I read these things, of course, because it's in older English, I'll, I'll do my best to, uh, to translate for us. But I want you to just go ahead in your mind, kind of take mental stock of what, uh, what all is in this command to not steal, Okay. What are the duties required in the Eighth Commandment? The duties required in the Eighth Commandment are truth, faithfulness, and justice in contracts and business between man and man. So from person to person, have you been just in the way that you've dealt with people in business and in contracts? That's included in this. Maybe you have. Rendering to everyone his due. Pay people what they deserve. Pay people what you owe them. Restitution of goods unlawfully detained from the right owners thereof. So if you realize that you have taken something or taken more than what you deserve, if you've defrauded somebody, pay it back. Giving and lending freely according to our abilities and the necessities of others. Okay, maybe now we're getting a little bit closer to home. Moderation, so restraint, of our judgment, wills, and affections concerning worldly goods. So, showing restraint in the way that you think about stuff, right? In other words, you don't have to have everything you think you need, right? Or everything you want. So showing some restraint and saying, you know what, I really want the better. I really want the faster. I really want the bigger. And then actually saying, but you know what, I'm going to pull back on that want. That's part of keeping this commandment. Uh, a provident care and study to get, and you love how we talked in 1600s, uh, a provident care and study to get, keep, use, and dispose these things which are necessary and convenient for the sustenance of our nature. What in the world does that mean? Uh, basically, budget. Plan about what you are going to need, save your money, and then get it, uh, and, and then get what you need in a wise way. And they say, suitable to our condition. So you know what? If your condition... um, Look, we just need to go ahead and be honest. The Bible understands that people in life have various conditions, right? Somebody's the CEO and somebody mops the floor. Both of those are good jobs and they have dignity in God's sight. And it's the job of this person to take care of this person, okay? In fact, they actually take care of each other. But those are different stations in life. Those are different conditions. This person may not be able to save and plan and get what this person is. And that's okay. But that's part of keeping this command, is a wise use of the things that we have. A lawful calling and diligence in it. Basically, a legal job and working hard at that legal job. So don't be a prostitute and don't sell drugs. Those are not legal jobs. Uh, No matter how hard you may work at them, they are not legal. Okay? So working hard work at a legal job, is part of keeping this commandment. Frugality, right? Actually, not spending everything, right? Not being extravagant, but being frugal. Look, I'm not making this stuff up. This comes from another generation, okay? And this is not some liberal social agenda. This came out of 1600s England. So, right, this was not written last week by the Democratic Party, okay? Okay. Um, Avoiding unnecessary lawsuits and other like engagements. Here's really the heart of it, right here. You ready? An endeavor by all just and lawful means to procure, preserve, and further the wealth and outward estate of others as well as our own. Do what you can to take care of yourself and other people. Help other people work hard and make money. Okay? That is, that's, that's the heart uh, what, of what this command is calling for. So, so when you get down to it, it's not simply enough to say, well, I haven't taken anything that didn't belong to me. Huh? Right? Right? Uh, but actually, there's more baked into this commandment, that we take the extra step, that we go further to not only work hard for ourselves, but also for other people. And we're going to see this develop as we go through the sermon. So uh, maybe as we, as you hear that, and listen, I didn't even read the part that said, that was what the command, there's a second question. That first question says, what does the command encourage? The second is, what does it prohibit? okay. That was just what the command encourages. So I didn't read the second question. Um, but I hope, so what I'm going to hope to show you is that one, we're all takers. Two, God is a giver. And then three, God actually transforms takers into givers. And we're going to see how he does that. So as we read that, how are you doing? Right? How are you doing with this commandment to not steal? Right? How much, how much do you endeavor to enrich the lives of other people? We're all takers. And if we're, if we're honest with ourselves and we're honest with the Bible, we're going to see that this is more than just an economic issue. This is actually a heart problem, right? This goes much deeper than economics. I want you to go all the way back with me to the first theft. It happens in Genesis chapter 3. But to understand Genesis 3, let's go all the way back to Genesis chapter 2 so that you can understand what Adam and Eve, our first parents, have. Right? In Genesis 2, if you read it, you see how Adam and Eve are surrounded by God's goodness. They could not have been placed in a, more, uh, in a, in a richer, more productive environment. They're surrounded by trees, and God gives them access to these trees to eat from. They're surrounded by rivers. They're surrounded by precious metals. The whole picture is one of lavish generosity, right? That is the environment that they live in, and they have been given everything to work. But one tree. They have been told that there is one tree in the midst of the garden that they are not to eat from. And so in Genesis chapter 3... This serpent comes along, and he tempts Adam and Eve by saying this. God's holding out on you. He doesn't really want what's best for you. I mean, yeah, sure, you can look at all of this out here. It looks like it, but I mean, this one fruit, this one thing, he doesn't want you to eat this because he knows that when you eat of it, you'll be like him. You'll be like him, knowing good and evil. And so, God is holding out on you. He is not good. And as you may know, Eve sees the fruit. She sees that it's good. She believes that it will make her wise. And so, the, the Bible uses the word, she reaches out her hand, and she takes it. And she gives some to her husband, and he eats as well. What motivated Adam and Eve to eat the fruit? What was so powerful that they could not keep themselves from taking what did not belong to them? And the answer, the root of the the thieves' heart, is they were greedy. They were greedy, ultimately, for God's glory. They wanted to be like God and they became thieves in the process and that's really what it means to break this law is being greedy for what is not yours and taking what has not been given to you the heart of this law is being greedy for what is not yours what does not belong to you and as a result of that greed taking that which has not been given Being greedy for what does not belong to you, for what is not yours, and then taking what has not been given. So, you and I are tempted in this way. We are tempted to think that God has something we deserve that He won't give us. That's really what's going on here. And this is where we see this motive at work. Every time you snatch a toy out of your brother's hand. Every time you cheat on a test because you're trying to take a score that doesn't belong to you by stealing knowledge that you don't have. That's breaking this command. Every time you oversell yourself or your product, every time you overbuy yourself into debt using credit, every time you take advantage of someone else for your benefit, Every time you fail to pay the people who work for you. Every time you goof off at work, getting paid to do more than you're actually doing. Every time you steal a person's good name through gossip or slander. Every time you steal a person's heart through manipulation God even says that when we don't tithe, we are robbing Him. That's in Malachi 3.28, and we'll talk more about that in a minute. So when it comes to stealing, we're actually far worse than we ever realized. Which, by the way, is actually what these commands are all about. They're they're trying to show us, right? They're they're a mirror held up in front of our faces, and they're the kind of mirror we don't really like. Like, we like the funhouse mirror that makes us look bigger or skinnier. You know, for some of us it's bigger, and for some of us it's skinnier, but either way, right? We like that mirror, but we don't like the up-close mirror. We don't like the one that shows us All the, all the pores and all the nasty stuff in them, right? And that's what this is doing. That's, so if, if you're here this morning and you're like, man, this guy is, he's a little much, right? He's kind of intense. This is, this is what the law is meant to do. It is meant to open up your heart and say, yep, that's you. You're a thief. You're a taker. We're far worse than we ever realized. And that's even highlighted maybe when we realize that God is always a giver. God is never a taker. He is always a giver. So there's there's two things that that kind of help underscore this commandment. The first one is this, that help this commandment make sense. One, there is such a thing as personal property. You have a right to own stuff. Or else this commandment doesn't make sense, right? You can't steal something if, if things don't belong to you. So this, this command, the, the, one of the presuppositions is that there is such a thing as personal property, right? God allows us to own, own things, right? I, I own my house. I own the things in it. I own the food in it until we consume it, right? That there is such a thing as ownership. And without ownership, this one doesn't make much sense. Not only is it okay to own things, but God also calls us to enjoy those things that we own. And so not only do we own, but we can enjoy what we own, right? That's part of it. Uh, a good example of this would be Job in the Old Testament. He's a very wealthy man, and he gives and he's, he's also a righteous man. So so to be wealthy is not the same as being Unrighteous. You can be wealthy and righteous, okay? Sometimes I think we, uh, our, our cultural moment and the narrative that we're, we're hearing right now is that if you have money, you are automatically evil. And that is not the case. That's not true in the Bible, right? We like to demonize people who have money, okay? That's not what the Bible does. The Bible demonizes greed, which can be a problem for both the wealthy and the poor, both can be greedy, right? Both suffer from this disease, all right? But uh, to own and to enjoy what you own, that's okay, right? Here's the second thing that underscores this. There is such a thing as personal property, one. But behind that, God is the owner of everything. So, yes, I own my house. Technically, Regions owns my house, I think. But we're working on that, right? Uh, I own my house, but I only own it for a time, right? I haven't always owned the house that I live in. Somebody else has owned it before me. And even if we live in that house for the next 50 years, assuming it's still standing, I may not always own my house. Someone else may own it after me. So while, yes, I own it, Ultimately, it is given to me by God. He owns everything, always and forever. There is no foreclosure on what God owns. Nobody's taking away what he has. God owns everything. And that means that everything that we have is given to us by God and ultimately, ultimately belongs to God. When I was in seminary, I lived about an hour and a half away, or when I started seminary, I lived an hour and a half away from where I was going to seminary. I was working in Meridian and seminary was in Jackson, so about an hour and a half away. And so I would, uh, go over one day a week and I would just spend the night with a buddy there, uh, in his apartment. And I would say, and I would tell him, Hey, man, thanks for letting me stay on your couch. And it was his couch. He bought it with his money. And one, it, was, it was so funny. What he always said was, That's okay, man. It's God's couch. Right? That's the attitude that we ought to have. Yes, it's my house. But really, it's God's house. Right? God owns everything. God is always giving. Even to people who don't know Him and to people who reject Him. God could have made a bland tasteless world with no color. But he didn't. He could have made our bodies to be sustained on tasteless gray goo. But he gave us steak and seasonings. He even made it so different kinds of smoke flavor meat differently. Isn't that remarkable? He gave us Umpteen varieties of fruits and vegetables that all have different nutrients that your body needs. And they all taste good, depending on how you cook them. And yes, to my low-carb friends, he even gave us bread. Good, yummy bread. He could have given us a world with no beaches, no mountains, no forest, no grand canyons, but he didn't. He gave us a world to explore and marvel at. He gives us the ability to harness the potential of this world so that we can flourish and grow. Think about this. How many wars, diseases, and famines has humanity been preserved through? He could have left us to fall apart and kill each other off several points in our history. And we've had the opportunity to do that, and we haven't done it yet. He could have he could have ended our history after Eden, after Noah, after World War II, but he hasn't. Jesus puts it this way in Matthew five forty-five: He makes his sun to rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust. We are the recipients of more generosity than we could possibly fathom. There is no truly self-made man or woman in the world. All that we have, we have been given. Now, some of us are better at improving what we have been given than others. This, too, is a gift. Some of us are really good at taking money and making more money. The rest of us just seem to be good at spending the money. Okay? Um, That, too, is a gift. It It is God's generosity. And here's the beautiful thing. The lavish, liberal generosity of God does not stop at creation. Right? Which brings us to our third point. God transforms takers into givers. And here's how he does it. How does, how does Jesus redeem thieves like you and like me? He does it by giving himself. By giving himself away. Paul puts it this way in Galatians. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. In Romans chapter 8. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? 2 Corinthians 8, 9. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that you, by His poverty, might become rich. The most stunning proof that God is a large hearted, liberal giver is that He gave His one and only Son into the hands of thieves, into the hands of sinful men who killed Him so that those same sinful men and women could be set free. God always gives. How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure. That He should give His only Son to make a wretch His treasure. And so the first step in becoming, in in being transformed from a taker into a giver, in being a glory stealer to a glory lover the first step in that process of transformation is that you have to trust in the gift of the Son. Right? If you feel condemned by the law that says you are a thief, and deep down you know it, you take advantage of other people. You may not have outright stolen their money, but you've taken advantage of other people in your words, uh, in shady, underhanded dealings. If you stand condemned under that law, The first step to freedom is believing on the gift of the Lord Jesus. Believe in Jesus and be set free from the sin of stealing. Be released from that. And then, the more we believe that news of free grace, isn't it interesting that that Tim, what Tim read from... Six, right? The wages of sin is death. What we deserve, the wages we deserve to be paid is death, but the free gift of God is life in Jesus. The more we believe that, the more that our stingy clutching fingers begin to loosen. The more we loosen our grip on our stuff, and the more uh, the more we become... Givers instead of takers. God's generosity overwhelms our greed and becomes our generosity. So, how do we apply that, right? Walking forward, if you are in Christ, how do, you, how do you apply this commandment? What does it have to do with you right now? One of the ways you can apply this is a generous stewardship of all of life. Alright, let me, let me define that word Stewardship. Uh, just a quick show of hands. How many of you watched uh, the show Downton Abbey? Fellas, it's okay. You can put your hand up. All right, only the old men are willing to admit that. Um, so, since you didn't watch the show, or at least won't admit you did, um, here's, here's, how the, here's how the household steward works, right? You have the home owner, you have the owner of the, of the estate, and the wealth really belongs to him, right? The steward is the person in charge of the house, right? So the owner has entrusted the steward with his possessions to multiply them, make things better, manage the rest of the house, and make sure things don't break, things run well, etc. That's what a steward does. And so the Bible teaches stewardship of all of life, that if God is the owner, he has entrusted us with certain gifts to use as he sees fit, right? So... Uh, general stewardship of all of life. If you are in Christ, that should change your outlook on material possessions. Right? It should change the way that you see. Here's, here's the issue we have with stuff. This is where greed come fr- comes from. We love our stuff more than we love the God who gives it to us. Right? Getting and acquiring more is really what becomes our idol. So rather than worship and love God... We love, the, we love the things. And nothing breaks the hold of that idol better than giving it away. Nothing breaks, the, nothing breaks the hold of materialism on the human heart like learning to give. So, let's talk about tithing and giving, right? I, I read that passage, or I referenced that passage in Malachi. Um, if you're under 50 years of age... So I'm referring to myself and those younger. If you're under 50 years of age, it's highly that you view giving, charitable giving, and particularly church giving, as just kind of an added extra. All right, um, something that something that would be nice to do, but only if there's a little bit left over at the end of the month, right? So we, uh, if you're 50 and younger, statistically speaking, you probably don't give very much. Uh, and when you do, you give out of the leftovers. Okay, those are those are just statistics. Maybe it's not true in this room. You'll need to know that I don't know what you give. All right, I don't. I know nothing about um, our financial records and who gives what. Okay, um, but just statistically speaking, that's probably how you view giving if you're under the age of 50. We give the leftovers. But what the command requires, right, what this what this calls us to is actually order, ordering our lives so that we give first. And that's true whether uh, you're over 50 and under 50, right? What this law is calling us to is actually ordering our lives so that giving becomes a priority and not just an afterthought. And now, let's talk about tithing. Uh, some would say, uh, so in the... Old Testament, they had this thing called the tithe, and it was 10% of your produce. You brought it to the temple. That was all, that was, there was that. There were also the sacrifices. There were also uh, the temple tax, right? So the, uh, the amount that was being given to, in, in the Old Testament, probably exceeded greatly 10%, all right, when you kind of factored everything in. But what is common for people to say, and there's some truth in it, is that, well, we're in the New Testament, so there really isn't a 10% tithe anymore, right? Uh, Jesus doesn't really mention it. Paul doesn't really mention it. The New Testament doesn't talk about a 10% tithe. Now, that part is true. But you know what the New Testament does highlight and showcase? The people in the New Testament, when they become believers in Jesus, have this radical generosity. In Acts chapter 4, when we see this kind of thing called church really getting going... People are taking their personal property, their possessions, and they are selling as others have need. And they're doing it with joy. Right? So, it's not communism. This is the difference between community and biblical community and communism. In biblical community, people give as they see need and they do so joyfully and gladly. It's not perfect. That doesn't always happen. Acts chapter 4 is kind of a, like that, that moment is nece- isn't necessarily repeated. Communism is where the state comes along and says, hey, everything that you have belongs to us and trust us, we'll just distribute it as we fit. Right? Works worked so well. Um, right? Some, look, somebody always ends up with more the difference between communism and capitalism is that the people who end up more is the government instead of the entrepreneur all right that's so somebody somebody it's going to get distributed all right do we just need to go ahead and admit that up front like there's never going to be an even distribution of wealth that at least this side of heaven okay so the diff- that's the difference between co- uh, community, biblical community, and communism. That in biblical community, people who have been ransomed and bought by Jesus say, my brother, my sister is in need, let me sell that piece of property I have over there and make sure that their needs are met. Alright, that's what, that's what we see happening in the New Testament. It's this radical generosity filled with joy. Second Corinthians 8 and 9, you can go home and you can read it this afternoon. It's probably the most in one place about giving in the New Testament right and there Paul says i don't want you to give under compulsion i want you to give with joy so the tithe may not necessarily be there but what's what it's replaced with the new testament way of life always deepens and furthers the old testament right the old testament is just a shadow of what's to come in the new testament so i don't know you may have been better off under the old testament actually that that's that can never be true but right what what we see in the new testament is not no longer a tithe, now we see radical generosity. But, if you're new to giving, or you are inconsistent in giving, if this has been a hard discipline for you, then the tithe is a good place to start. That 10%, and obviously for most of us, except for a a small handful, it's not going to be produce, okay? In fact, we would really ask that you not bring your produce to the church office. There's just not much we can do with that, right? Um, we really just take money gifts, okay? Sorry. Um, but it, So if you're new to giving uh, or not giving or inconsistent in giving and you're like, okay, where do I start? Start with 10%. Start there. I realize for some of us, that's, that's harder than others. For, for some people, 10% is going to be really easy. But what, again, what this commandment is calling us to is a general stewardship of all of life. So start with a tithe and go from there. And as you have more, give more. And look, there are lots of good ministries. There are lots of good... Consider ministries, Christ-centered ministries first. The politicians are going to be okay. The Republican Party doesn't need your help. There are Christ-centered ministries that need plenty of help. Give to those. That's just my personal opinion, okay? Um, So, uh, a second application. Analyze the budget of your heart. Analyze the budget of your heart. What, what is it that your heart is gravitating towards? It's one thing to say that Jesus is Lord with your mouth, but to demonstrate that your hobby is Lord with your money. And I'm just telling you, that's, that is an inconsistent life, and this commandment calls you to more, right? This commandment calls you to reevaluate. Are you giving? Are you giving more to the Lord? Or to your hobby. You need to evaluate that. You need to look at that. Paul's words in Ephesians 4.28 capture it best. He says this. Let the thief no longer steal. So this is in the redeemed community. People who have been transformed by Jesus. Let the thief no longer steal. But rather let him work. Now, for most of us, The ideal stops right there. Right? Yeah. The thief should no longer steal. He should work instead. And we put a period on the sentence and we stop right there. But I want you to notice something. Paul doesn't stop there. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him work, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. The New Testament ideal... Generous stewardship of life. I need to work and help my own family. I need to provide for my family that is good and right. And it's good that... I, look, what I said about hobbies, you can have a hobby. You should have a hobby. Some of you need hobbies, right? Um, I need more of a hobby, okay? Um, you ought to enjoy your hobby. But you need to analyze your heart and figure out is my hobby more important to me than the Lord Jesus and not just with my mouth but with my checkbook is my hobby more important to me than the Lord Jesus are the need, is my hobby more important to me than the needs of others that is what the 8th commandment calls us to when we become givers instead of takers We have this insatiable appetite for more. For more money, for more friends, for more approval. We are desperately looking for a treasure. But the only one, the only treasure that will last forever and can never run out and can never be lost is found in Jesus. So sell all the rest of that piddling stuff. And run to Jesus. And he'll help you know what to do with your money. Let's pray. God in heaven, would you, would you transform us and would you make us new? Would you make us different? Whether, whether we're a cheapskate or, or an extravagant prodigal spender, Whether we're rich or poor, our hearts can be captivated and owned by money. Always thinking about what we don't have. Always believing that you are holding out on us. God, would you come in and would you change our hearts? Would you cause us to see by the graciousness of the gift of your Son that you're not holding out on us. You never have. You have always had what is best. And you have given us your best in the Lord Jesus. I pray that we would believe in Him, believe on Him and be saved. And as we do, that the way that we see everything that we own, is something that you've given us. And you've given it to us for our joy and for the joy and benefit of others and for your glory. So would you take us and make us new? We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.